Hello, and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Joel Wanasek. Joel is the co-owner and music entrepreneur behind Unstoppable Recording Machine and Drum Forge. He also is a big part of things you'll hear in this podcast, like Nail the Mix and the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, which I would say is my favorite recording podcast. I... If you like this podcast, you should be listening to what those guys do because it is phenomenal and I get a great bit of enjoyment out of it. And obviously I do this a lot. With that said, Joel is also a producer and mixer, but mostly a mixer these days. We get into a lot of his theories and feelings on that. He has a noise careers profile where you can get to know him a little bit better and you can read through his bio check out his discography, listen to a Spotify playlist of his work, and read through all that and find out what he's all about. Before we get into the fun, I'm going to remind you again that I just put out a new book that I worked on for four years. It's called Processing Creativity. It is all about the pitfalls of how people fall into traps and mess up their good songs and all the ideas you need to know on how to make music you're happy with. I hope you check it out. It's now out in audiobook as of this week. So if you like this podcast, you can now hear more of my voice going on and on for seven and a half hours about the things we discussed in this podcast. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Check out what Joel has to say. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? I'm using a Rode shotgun mic, I don't know the model number, into a Audient interface for this particular podcast. I think you're the first shotgun mic that we've ever had uh, being used. Any reason for that? Um, I can put it right in front of my face and I don't have to hang a really big janky stand or anything crazy like that. And mm. it's kind of nice because it's sits down at my keyboard level. I got one of those little mini stands for like eight bucks and it's literally right in front of me and I can just sit there and talk to my computer screen and watch the waveform draw so I know it doesn't crash as I'm talking or <laughs> something doesn't something doesn't go wrong. That, that, that's the mark of you doing a lot of podcasts because you know to watch that. Um, so why don't you give us a brief background in how you got into music? I started off when I was, I want to say fifth grade, so maybe eight years old or so. 
And I walked in and they were doing the orchestral instruments and I grabbed the violin. I'm like, this is cool, even though it was really, really uncool when I was that age. So I picked it up and I started playing violin. I played all throughout high school. And when I was in eighth grade, I went to my friend's house and he showed me his guitar and I immediately fell in love with it. And when I was a sophomore in high school, it was kind of like the aha moment. I was sitting down at lunch and my friend was like, listen to this dude play guitar. And he hands me uh, Randy Rhodes, the Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes tribute record, Mr. Crowley. And he's like, listen to this solo. And I, I heard it and it just totally lit the flame under me. Like I decided right then and there, I wanted to get really awesome at guitar and dedicate my life to being great at it. So I went home, I bought the tab book. I signed up for lessons the next day and I spent six hours practicing guitar and just became an absolute guitar nerd fanatic for the next 10 years of my life. So how does that sag into producing? Well, when I was in a band, the second time I stepped into a studio, um, I kind of walked in and I saw the flashing knobs and buttons and lights. And I'm like, this is probably one of the coolest things ever. I don't know how any of this stuff works, but it's there's something, I, I don't know, I felt like a calling to it. Like, it just felt right. Like, I walk in, you know, you have that gut feeling. You're like, I need to be here. This is, this is right. So it just made sense. So I started recording my own stuff and I tried to get some internships, but everybody told me to piss off. And I finished college. I got a real job and uh, about two and a half years in, I got laid off and at that point I'd already been recording a lot of bands so I you know study recording all day at work when I was supposed to be working I was a terrible employee <laughs> totally a terrible employee always got in trouble I'd sit there on gear sluts and uh, pro sound yep. web at the time I mean this is like 2000 2003 four five yeah, yeah that, 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 those were the that, those were the days before those things sucked yeah really good stuff back then and you know I'm self-taught so I had to figure it all out so I then I'd go home and I'd record the band and then I'd sleep and then repeat and that was my entire life life for years. And then when I got laid off, it just made sense. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I'm kind of playing in a band and I want to do that. And, but I still like recording. So I'm just going to record bands on the side to make some money, but I don't want to work. This is stupid. Like I'm meant to own a business, not to work for somebody else. So it was just kind of a natural pro progression, I guess. Nice. And so now you have your own studio. You mostly do mixing at now you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I've worn all hats. So I, because I'm, again, self taught and I come from literally cornfields in Wisconsin, you know, basement, middle of freaking nowhere. <laughs> I, I actually did not know corn and Wisconsin went together. I knew the cheese thing, but I didn't know the, the, the corn thing. Well, you just drive around anywhere in Wisconsin outside of like a major city, and there's only, you know, two arguably major cities in Wisconsin, and it's just all cornfields everywhere you go. You know, I, I had a place and I was out in the middle of nowhere, again, surrounded by cornfields, working in a basement, started recording. That's kind of where it all started. So, um, I totally spaced and forgot the question. <laughs> I, I, I was a asking about uh, your studio and that you're mostly doing mixing now. So I want to focus now that we got your back. I, now that we got your background, I want to focus a bit on what you do today. So yeah, so I'm saying I came up wearing all hats, right? <laughs> yes. That's what I meant to say. Sorry, I, I wore all hats. I produced, I recorded, I mixed, I mastered, I wrote, I co-wrote, I, I did whatever the hell the band needed, and I had a great career recording local regional stuff. Then I started to break some bands, get some stuff signed, and then I got more and more into mixing as demand went up for that, and I realized I wanted to specialize more in it. And then I spent a, a good many years mixing, and you know, mixing about 500 songs a year. And wow. then I ended up transferring into what I'm doing now. So 500 songs a year, you're obviously taking some days off. 
how many songs are you usually able to do a good job in a day? I'll tell you my record. I mixed a metal record for a signed band. I'm not going to say the name of the album. Actually, I think it turned out pretty sick, but I mixed. I also have an assistant. So when I when I, I should say that when I mix, I mean, I I have this down to a science that is so refined and so precisely calculated that almost every single variable has been eliminated. So I've set up my studio in my life around mixing really, really quickly and uh, getting a lot of material done because, you know, as the industry has gone down, you know, what the amount of money people are willing to pay has increased. So I've made my money up more on volume. So I'm like, well, you know, if I can mix a whole record in like three days, then I'll make just as much money as if I would be getting paid a ton of, you know, a lot of money to mix one song and spend two or three days mixing it. So I, my record is I've mixed an entire album with revisions from the minute I set it up on my computer in about three and a half hours. What? Now it was a metal core or not a metal core. It was like a death core album. So the whole record was all on one grid. There wasn't a lot of extra stuff. It was pretty straight. You know, there wasn't a ton of crazy automation. It wasn't like mixing a 200 track pop song, but it definitely, you know, it was still a lot of work, but again, you know, I have me and my assistant, we have it set up where it's just straight hustle. Like we, we get in, we get out and the band wasn't picky. The band was on a deadline and I don't know. It was just really easy. They knew what they wanted. We gave it to them. We had one revision pass and they were like, this is great. Turn it in. We're like, done awesome let's go to lunch come back and mix four more songs <laughs> that that is killer and i i think there is that thing is that one um some re records mix themselves and then two when people hear this they also don't see the other benefit to the like the assistant setting it up is that like i have the same thing and it's like it keeps my objectivity i don't have to sit there and lose my objectivity seeing the nitty-gritty and the nitpicking and then having to think about lining snares and losing my momentum and stuff like that and it really does make a huge difference in the work output and the quality of the work when you're not you know i talk a lot about these days that like you have to ration your listens to songs to stay inspired and a lot of people don't take that seriously and that's thing with the assistant it like really helps that oh absolutely and the weird thing is in terms of physiology nature gave us one brain but really gave us two different brains we got the right and the left hemisphere and each one can operate independently and you know you have the creative right side and then you have the technical left side and i think because we're doing art here and I'm a pretty technical set person, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, again, this is where having many years of experience wearing all hats, like you, you learn to turn one side off and turn the other one on. I'm a huge believer and an advocate of, you know, only doing things in one hemisphere at a time. So if you're going to do prep and you do all your own stuff, do all your prep separately and get it all set up, then go do something else and come back and be creative. Because when you sit down, you want to get inspired by the song right away and just get the emotion and the feel of the song and just rock right into, you know, the mix. And you don't want to be sitting there like, ooh, that snare drum is a little bit too dark. You just want to be like, snare, sounds good. Kick, sounds good. How mm -hmm. loud? Boom, boom, boom. You know, you don't want to be like overthinking it and analyzing it. And, and it's really, it plays to your gut. So I really tried to focus when I mix on capturing that inspiration where I'm hearing the song almost for the first time. I hit play, it already sounds good. Maybe I got to change out a sample or maybe I got to re-EQ a guitar. Maybe the bass tone chain doesn't work, so I load another. But either way, I hear the song and it's already in some of a, what of a mixed template. It already sounds pretty good because my assistant has set it up that way and we refined it to that point. And then I'm able to sit down and just be totally creative with the song and not turn on my um, my left brain. And the other thing that's cool is I also set up the process in terms of revisions and et cetera with the band. So it's really efficient and I don't have a level of interference. I also know it's like if I spend four days working on a drum sound and the client 
doesn't like the drum sound, then I just wasted four days. So I try to mm. get a drum sound that I think is cool as fast as possible that fits the song, and I send it over to the band because no matter what I do, they're going to have an opinion anyways, and it's their record. Mm -hmm. I'd rather get them that information right away so they can listen to it and get me feedback because once I have feedback, then I know what I need to do. So the faster you can get the feedback, the faster you can finish mixing. That is uh, a really, really good thought at a lot of stuff I've employed, but it sounds like you have it down to even more of a science. What's funny is we're actually, uh, sorry, to, sorry to we're actually coming out with a course on how to do this here at Unstoppable Recording Machine. And, oh, really? Yeah, Very I basically cool. took every single possible trick, method. We made all these regiments. It's super crazy, super in-depth. It's going to be a monster, and I'm hopefully that comes out in June, but I, I say that tentatively because all the time you have release dates and then yeah. there's reality. So it's, it's aimed to come out in June, but we've put something together really, I think, special and unique that's really cool that doesn't exist in the marketplace that I feel like I only know a couple of guys that can mix that many songs and that are qualified to teach that sort of thing, and I should say are actually good good teachers. <laughs> Yes, so, that's important. Um, all right, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go backwards on one thing, and then I'm gonna sure. edit it backwards. So you were talking about the different hemispheres, and so this morning I was listening to. Do you know Cal Newport who wrote Deep Work? Uh, I'm not familiar with him. That book, I think you would love. That book actually is like a lot of the scientific arguments about separating that left and right brain thing, and he's very big on this that you shouldn't have notifications on, that you shouldn't have disturbances oh, yeah. in your life. And he actually like really goes through it. It's a little autistic for me, the book. Like the, in how much he gets like focused on that stuff, but it really is a thing that anybody who's listening to this, whether they're a songwriter or producer, really should take seriously of that. Like science shows you should batch your left tasks. and right tasks. Yeah. And that like your logical and your creative tasks should be batched. It's funny. I think E.L. and I got on into this when he was on too, but that is a really big thing that so many people don't take seriously in their life because you don't see, see the benefits until you do them. Well, especially nowadays. I mean, there's so many distractions that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago just because of the damn smartphone. And it's an incredible enabler because for example, I run two companies completely off a smartphone and we only meet in person once in a blue moon and it's mm. crazy like that couldn't have happened you know 10 years ago but that's the positive side or you have unlimited access to information or whatever you need the negative side is you're sitting there you're doing a mix you get into the creative zone and boom your phone rings and hey i need this and this and that and you're like oh and then you're totally you know out of it or you open up your email and then there's some dramatic thing from a band or a label or something and then like it totally ruins your day or like hey you lost this test mix or mm. you know this and this and this happened we lost the masters and we screwed up but uh uh, we need you to take care of this in the next hour. And then all of a sudden you're totally thrown off for the whole day. And then it's like, how do you go in and do an amazing job for the artist that's actually paying you for that time? Yes. So you have to block that crap out. Like if you're going to mix or you're going to produce or you're going to write or do anything creative, literally everything else, piss off, turn off your phone. Don't even put it in the same room, sit down or put it on airplane. If you really are that much of an addict, which I guess everyone is, all I got to do is walk into a movie theater, right? And uh, mm -hmm. look at everybody's watching the previews and you see 600,000 million people in the Ugh. room all on their phones and i'm sitting there like am i the only guy who's actually watching the movie <laughs> it re really is that thing that the like the last few great movies i've been to i've looked over and seen somebody at fa on facebook for more than 10 minutes of the movie yeah. i'm like I, I i like i don't get it i don't selfie fucking... instagram at the movies <laughs> facebook <laughs> status update check in four square yep <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's get back to Unstoppable Recording Machine and tell us more about what you guys do. Sure. How much time you got? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. There's a lot of things that you guys are doing. And There's I, well, a actually, lot to you, talk about. I think what really is a good focus, and I'll give the endorsement first, is you said the thing about doing things that other people aren't doing. And that's what I really appreciate is that like you and I work on totally separate types of music. like, And I find the plugins you guys are doing and things like that are totally like work even in my thing even though it's the farthest thing from it like dfx site the plugin you guys do it's like i use that on all the weird indie rock tom waitsy type stuff i do all the time even though that's not what you guys are teaching all day and <laughs> i think it's so funny because well, like you know it's like even the thing of like my friend i just mixed like a this avant-garde hip-hop group that's like considered like you know like one of kanye's biggest influences and that was the most used plugin on the entire record and well that's amazing send me a screenshot now Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could do that. Um, but without uh, so without further introduction, tell us about what you guys are doing over there. All right. I'll start off with the audio education component. Then I'll talk about the software because the audio takes the longest amount of time to um, explain. Okay. So we have Unstoppable Recording Machine, which is essentially an online replacement for an audio school. So traditionally, you know, if you want to go to like a full sale or something like that, it costs a lot of money. And we're thinking, all right, well, you know, maybe there's a more modern way to do this because a lot of people don't want to kick up, you know, five figures, they don't want to go and, you know, go to Florida and live in a, a dormitory. And, you know, they want to, they don't want to deal with all that. The, la the latter was why I didn't go there was the whole live in Florida thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, it's a little bit hot down there. I, I do like Florida. I mean, AL's got an office down there and I think we're about to rent one for filming and things like that, but it's, uh, Fair you know, it, it's the weather can suck. I once toured there in September on a converted school bus that we painted all black that didn't have oh. air conditioning and it was not a very memorable experience. Well, memorable the wrong way, at least. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A good unmemorable experience. Okay. So here's what we do. We, um, we have a subscription based website site where we offer different tiers of audio education and we have some free stuff. So we do bi-weekly blogs where we have lots of good articles and things like that written by a variety of different people who we think are very good writers and have lots of interesting things to say. For example, you, Jesse, have done some excellent blogs for us. We have a podcast, which is the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. And I got to say, it's weird being on somebody else's podcast and not being on my own. <laughs> and, and, it's, it, and I told you when I was on uh, last week, it's weird to actually talk to you because I listen to it so much that I just hear you talk at me all day. <laughs> it's so crazy. It really it is a really like this is fun, funny thing though because it's like man, I probably listened to like you guys talk for a hundred hours, so it's like it's one of those things. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, thank you and appreciate the listen. You that's, guys do you guys I, do a great job. I mean, it's kind of like I feel like we just, we just get together with friends and we just talk about what we love talking about, and the fact that anybody actually even listens is is cool. So you can find it on iTunes and all that stuff. It's an audio nerd fast. We, we should also say though when you look it up it's urm academy podcast when you look it up i believe yeah unstoppable recording machine podcast but if you go to the website urm.academy or urmacademy.com it, it all goes to the same thing it's pretty easy to find um like i said itunes it, it, it's on every platform that i can think of and if it's not somebody's gonna get fired on my team so um so we do that on the free side to just give people good information and good content it's something to consume and it's also a way for people that 
you know, like, like me, when I was coming up, I was kind of isolated. I couldn't find an internship. Every studio told me to piss off. And I just wanted to like be involved in music and people that were making it. And the only outlet I had was a forum. I wish I could have had a podcast that I could have listened to. And when I'm going to the grocery store or something like that, or driving somewhere, um, you know, just so you're absorbing the information and the knowledge and it's becoming, uh, on a subconscious level where it's intrinsic. So we do all that. Um, on the paid side, we offer a couple different things. We have two tiers. One is called nail the mix and the other is called enhanced and nail the mix is basically a i think pretty cool and revolutionary uh type of mixing school so what we do is we grab some of the world's greatest mixers so for example this month we have billy decker who's an a-list nashville guy and really smart guy oh yeah billy's billy's amazing billy's one of the few guys i know that can mix that many songs that fast and uh he might even be faster <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out when I go to Nashville in a week and a half. So we bring in all these A-list guys. For example, on the metal side, we've had like Tua Madsen and we've had uh, Kane, Kane Churko on the rock side, um, we, uh, Nolly, Periphery. We bring in all these big bands, big mixers, and you, the listener, you guys get the stems. You can do your own mix. You can get the actual multi-tracks from the session. So if you want to see, you know, how Tua did the Numa Sugar album and you want the all, you know, all multi-mic guitar tracks, you want five different tracks of multi-mic madness on each side and you know then he sits down at the end of the month and he doesn't just do a standard pre-film mixing course it's a live stream so as a listener you come to the live event and you, you, you can be like well hey you know i didn't fully understand how you did this could you explain it then he stops the mix he turns around to the camera and he talks to you and he says hey well here i did this and i tweaked this and i do that so we mix the song from bottom to top all the way through explaining every little move they made why it made why they made it you know and it's we're not teaching presets we're teaching problem solving and concepts because you can't just cop somebody's sound and assume that you're going to sound like that because we all hear different. So what end up what ends up happening is you get to see how these people think and their workflow. And from that, you're going to learn concepts and ideas, and it's going to challenge you to move outside of your comfort zone. And every month we switch up the mixer. So um, like I said, we've had so many amazing bands on and we mostly do rock and metal, but um, because that's our core audience. But, you know, every once in a while we branch out and do things like that. So you get to interact with them, which is really cool. You get to do your own mix. We always give away killer prizes. Like we give away like an eight string Ibanez guitar last month. And this month we're giving away uh, three channels of uh, Neve Pre from Stam Audio, nice. um, which is, uh, I think, another pretty incredible prize. I mean, I'm like, damn, man, I want to enter the mix competition <laughs> so I can win <laughs> a free nice. pair. I can, you can never have too many Neves. Okay, the, so that's the, the, the nail. The, the, the horn I'll toot for that whole thing you just described is, you know, I've been mixing records for 19 years now. And every time I sit down for whatever it takes me to watch, because I don't watch live, so I see it at the end and I fast forward through the commercials. But in the five, six hours it takes to watch, I usually learn more in that five and six hours than I learn most of that month. And it still is refreshing even for somebody who's been in it as long as I have, because the approach you guys take to having people explain their processes and their thoughts behind it and the different ways they do it, there's always some loophole in my education, even though my education is so thorough that I still find. So I can't imagine what it's like when you're younger and still starting out. It's probably overwhelming, but the cool thing is you can <laughs> keep watching it. You know, it's like yes. a magazine subscription. So once you're signed up, you can always watch something five, six, seven, eight times. And I mean, I would have when I was coming up, definitely for me, I mean, guys like our level that have been doing this professionally for a long time, I think it's cool because even at our level, we get to watch our peers work because you're like, man, I always wondered how we got his, you know, his drum sound like that. And then you get to see him mm -hmm. do it. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. That inspires me. I'm going to try integrating this into 
my workflow and see what I can come up mm -hmm. with. So aside from that, you also get access to the community. And I think that is the best thing over at Unstoppable Recording Machine because um, we have a really, really positive community. Everybody yes. there is there to learn. And it's not like some of the internet forums where somebody asks kind of like a noob question and they get hated on by all the old angry guys. <laughs> you know, we kick those, we, we keep that down to a, a very, very minimum. We're very, very aggressive in combating that stuff. So um, I think it's something really awesome because we have an incredibly positive community and no matter what level you're at, everybody is there helping other people. We do crazy things like pay it forward and all kinds of fun like, things like that. So for example, we'll, everybody will volunteer their time to do something. For example, like I mastered five songs for free last time I did. Mm. Uh, we did a pay it forward a couple weeks ago and just first five people to hit me up, I'm going to master a song and send it to you. If you use it, great. If you don't use it, great. Either way, it, it's cool. You know, so it's all about, it's a spirit of giving and a spirit spirit of collaboration and helping and people are you know they're working together there some people even have bands together and we've taken mm. it even physical where we've actually had chapter meetups in different cities like for example i'm in milwaukee so we did one in chicago and we had a great turnout tons mm. of people came and some people even drove from way out of state and we hung out for a day and we just talked audio and nerded out and i gave like a three-hour seminar on uh some really advanced business stuff and it was a good time so there's lots of really really cool things happening um and that's just like the nail the mix level Mm -hmm. Now, the next level is enhanced. And enhanced is because of the format of Nail the Mix, you obviously can't go, um, you can only go so deep. You're only mixing one song. You can't spend eight hours talking about just compression or just EQ or you know gain structuring or things like that. So at enhanced, we offer three things. We have a video vault, which is called the Fast Track Vault, where we do these really in-depth courses. So for example, let's take compression. I did a course on compression called Hearing Compression that shows you how to hear movement in compression, okay? So when people think about compression, most people think about dynamics and control controlling your dynamics. Uh, the second le level is what I would call like hearing density and um, the tone of the compressor and like the sonic signature, how it fits into the spectrum, how it distorts, how it bends, etc. And then the third level, so this is something that Michael Brower talks a lot about is movement, meaning like waving, how when you throw something into the compressor at rubber bands and taking that compressor and using it as a musical tool to adjust the groove and manipulate the feel and the emotion of the song. So we sit down and I take you through and show you how to hear that and train it and to use it. And um, we go in really, really depth. So that's the fast track vault. We have lots of really cool topics and we're always updating it. We do something that's like Nail the Mix called Mix Rescue. And Mix Rescue is we open up a listener's um, session and then we'll mix it on live stream just like the Nail the Mix thing. So, you know, maybe I or Joey Sturgis or A.L. Levy will open up the session and then we'll take your session and be like, all right, well, here's what you're doing wrong in your mix or here's where you're struggling with. Here's how you can improve at this, this or that. This is a different approach that you can try here or there, etc. So um, we we go through and then we do a show, which is usually a couple hours where we remix some of their stuff and open their session with their plugins, their working, uh, their workflow, their templates, etc. Uh, and the third thing we do is what's called one-on-one. -on -one. So we'll sit down with them and it's first come first serve. So we'll give them uh, 20 minutes and we'll do a couple hours a week and we'll all rotate. So for example, people come on and we'll get career advice, or maybe some people want to mix critique or some people are stuck saying, Hey, you know, I'm having a hard time getting more clients and here's my situation. How can I, how can I get more? What strategies can I try? So we give people like one on one time and that's the enhanced tier nice and yeah i will say uh I've even looked at some of the fast tracks before and they look amazing. And like, it was that thing of like, there's so many bad explanations of the basics out there. And like, I think about my first recording book was like the billboard guide to home recording. And like, I had to undo so much of that learning because it was all so <laughs> fucking wrong. But you guys are actually showing people great explanations and 
real education, unlike, you know, having to unlearn, like, when I was explained, like, what turning up 10K does in a mix and, like, all these things <laughs> that are just, like, such wrong information that exists in the world because education has sucked for so long at this. Here's what's important, I think, is what, from an educational point of view is, you know, traditional school is, it, it, it tries to cover a lot of fundamentals and a lot of broad things, but the thing is, is that a lot of it's irrelevant. Like when I went to college for business, how much of that information do I use now that I own two legitimate companies? I mean, it literally, a little bit of finance, all of the stuff I learned in accounting, like all the economics I learned in school was completely useless. And then I went out and started reading real econ books and learning that, oh, this is actually really interesting. It's not just graphs and numbers. And, um, you know, but I'm trying to think like organizational behavior, perfect example of a stupid class. It's like, <laughs> what is the difference between a work group and a team? And it's like, I raise my oh hand my and gosh. I'm like, I've got a crew. And they're like, get out of the class. I'm like, no, no, no. McDonald's has got crew. 50 cents got crew. I got a crew. How come that's not in the book? And like, <laughs> I get kicked out of the class, you know, and it's just like for being a smart ass. But you know what I mean? It's just like what a waste of time, energy, tuition, etc. So what's what's more important is we're trying to teach stuff that's relevant. Like if you learn this, you're going to get hired. You're going to be employable. You know, you want to get good at editing or you want to get good at mixing or, you know, what are employable skills that people need now, not skills that people needed 30 years ago that we wrote about in a book that worked on a record that was done in 1981 when everybody was back on analog tape. No one gives a shit about that. Can I curse? Sorry. Oh, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, I can't not curse, so we have to be able to curse. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just making sure I, I realized uh, some I, people are sensitive about uh, that. I, I, I do the same thing on every podcast. As I, 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 The first five curses fly that I notice the sixth that ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you I, know, when you... Hang out with bands all day. You yes. know, you're, as a producer, you're paid to be cool. So if you're a good hang and you're fun and you're entertaining, um, you know, that's awesome. But if you're weird and creepy, like they're not going to come back to you. So you got to be able to talk shit, you know, and you got to be able to have a little bit of fun, which means you need to mirror a little bit of the psychology. So if the band's cursing and they're telling uh, like really offensive jokes, you join right in. Yeah, no, I, 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 th I think there is that thing of um, a lot of people see the like blending into the crowd. They're like, oh, you're not being yourself. You're not being authentic. It's like mm. a lot of time. It's like I have a lot of different parts of my personality that I could just use to when the situation's right. If the band's really goofy, I'm going to be be my goofy self. The band's absolutely. really serious. I could talk politics all day. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree with you. I mean, you have to be a bit of a chameleon, but I mean, a genuine chameleon. I mean, at the end of the day, you are you and any attempt to not be you is going to come off as disingenuous and uh, fake but at the same time it's like you know if a bunch of dudes are really chill and really serious then just bring out the chill side and the serious side and talk about serious stuff if the band is sitting there doing dick jokes all day then sit there and do dick jokes all day you know like at the end of the day you want to have fun doing what you love which is making music you want to have fun working so why not have fun working and you know if you get to hang out with a bunch of dudes for 10 hours or more in a day you got to find some way to get some chemistry so you could actually enjoy your time doing it well well put so Let's get one last thing out of the way. Tell us about your plugins. Okay, so we have a software company called Drumforge, and we make sample libraries, which is cool because uh, we've been fortunate. We've won a bunch of awards and things like that for them. Um, we haven't. We right now it's on contact all of our libraries as a sample or host, but we are about to, and I don't want to say a date because we've been working on this for a while. But we're about to drop our own sampling platform, which I think is really, really awesome and is going to really impress a lot of people. It's, it's so really needed because what's out there yeah. is fucking trash. It's just outdated, and the new 
stuff is, I don't know, I, I think it's a really awesome platform. And more importantly, it's not necessarily the Drumforge One library that's gonna come out right away with it that we've done a couple of years ago, but all of the awesome stuff we're going to be doing off of that technology because it's been built in a modular sense, meaning that, you know, you spend all this time, R&D money and all this effort for years building up this platform, but then you can take that platform and that core technology and you can bend it and mold it to do 50 different things. And we're really excited about that because we have a whole bunch of things lined up that have just been waiting to come out. And they're all like contingent on this one plugin coming out because that technology is then going to be the basis uh, to launch uh, just a whole array of really cool and creative ideas. But essentially, Drumforge One, mm -hmm. our whole thing is we went in and we sat down and we're like, a lot of people, they take drum samples, for example, and they'll like program drums or whatever, like you get a sound. It always sounds like Steven Slate drums or it always sounds mm -hmm. like Superior Drummer. And I don't want to knock those softwares because I think they're great. No, but and they I have a have, sound. Yeah, they do. And I've used them for years, as does Same. any set of samples. And I, I still love them so i'm not saying anything negative um but when we sat down when we made this and we're just like all right what if i could take a set of faders and switch through engineering setups and take one kick and get 50 different sounds out of it so i could be like one two three four faders and now i'm at death metal one two three four boom now i've got something that would work for pop alt rock indie etc one two three four now i got something that could work for active radio rock or etc so we tried to make a drum sample mixing experience that was really flexible that you didn't have to know anything about EQ or compression or, or whatever. You just had to move a couple of faders to get a different sound and no two people would mix with this and get the same sound. They would always get a unique sound. It wouldn't just be like, all right, well, we mm. used you know, sampler X kick 12 on every single metal yeah. track for eternity, you know, and you just identify that sample immediately. You, you'll be like, oh, what is that? And they'll be like, yeah. oh yeah, that's this. Or, you know, gotcha. that's this. You'll be like, oh, I would have never surprised that because I got a completely different result out of the plugin. So we try to make sample libraries that are really innovative and um, more flexible, musical, and a bit more interesting than what's there. You know, we try to make them a lot more custom. For example, like something I always hate is when I get an expansion pack and like, I want it to sound like the dude's mix on the records and then I open it up and it sounds like the entire original pack remixed by that person and it still has that original pack sound and it's just like mm. if I'm going to go buy Mixer X's expansion pack and it doesn't sound like the last five records he did then I think it's I think that's disingenuous and that's horseshit so we're making sure like when we're doing producer packs and the ones that we're going to put out that's going to be like their shit you know what I mean you're going to be able to go in and you get sound hacks from this record and um, we've even set it up like Drumforge one for example like joey and i did uh tilla's guilty pleasures record and when we mixed mm -hmm. that record we basically we used it in Drumforge. well we recreated that preset down to like one or two percent because of course you know there's mastering eq yes. and all this stuff and you and can't you, and emulate and you don't want that stuff on it technically because it's going to go through yes. that process anyway and that's what a lot of people don't get i think too yeah like but when you open this the plugin you load that guilty pleasure kit that's the drum sound you know what i mean and then you just mm. all you need to do is throw in your guitars and your bass and it, you know it's gonna be within a percent and it's like you can just open it and start writing music and start making metal and it's gonna sound like that and your kid's gonna be able to get that sound so that's what we're trying to capture is like a more authentic experience so aside from libraries the other thing that we do is we make um mixing plugins for mixing drums but again like you said earlier talking about excite they can be used to do a lot of different and creative things but i think what's cool and what sets us apart from a lot of stuff out there is because we've all mixed all these records and you know we've all had billboard success and things like that 
when we mix this stuff, you know, you're not, it's not a bunch of software engineers sitting around with their thumbs up their butt, like, oh, let's <laughs> make a compressor. It's a bunch of guys who have mixed for many, many years saying, all right, what do I need? What would make my life so much easier? And is there a way we can reinvent this or reapproach this that would be really fun and really musical to use? Like, what do I need? What would make, what would eliminate four plugins that I use right now that I could just make it simple in a musical way that a kid could sit down and uh, he could go deep and tweak deep if he wanted to, but at the same time the ui experience would be in such a way that it's musical and it's going to be like you know my mom could figure it out even though she's never mixed anything so trying to bridge that gap between solving problems and making it easy to do while satisfying some of the crazy tweakers out there basically we're trying to make stuff that's musical that people are going to want to use that's fun that sounds great that solves real world problems very rad and i from my experience of all the ones i've used i think you guys have had a really good eye for that because i use it a ton so um, well we appreciate that we yeah. it's a lot of work and very expensive to make software and it's definitely can be a labor of love if you know what i mean it's, it, 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 interesting i always wonder about i mean i can't imagine anything that's good ever doesn't take a ton of ton of work but uh i never i so so, so what does the hour load look like on a uh, plug-in design holy shit i mean Okay, I'll walk you through the process just so you can experience it. And I'll kind of tell it in story mode. So hopefully it has a little bit of humor here for okay. the listener. So it starts out and um, we're like, all right, what do we want to do? We want to do, you know, an EQ. All right. So what the EQ has been done a million times. No one's updated the design since like the 1970s or 80s. So what can we possibly bring to the table that would be interesting? So then we sit down and we think about it. What are our favorite EQs? What do we like about them? What do we freaking hate about them? What do we like about EQing in general? What don't we like? So we sit down and we argue about it for days. And eventually we decide, one of us comes up with a clever idea. We're like, well, what if we could do the EQ like this? And be like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. You know, that's a little bit different than it, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we, we, we come up with a theme or a concept and something mm -hmm. that's going to make it different. Like I said, that's going to solve a legitimate problem that somebody else isn't already doing. And yes, it is impossible to be 100% original, but at the yeah, same time, doesn't matter. you try to take a little bit from here, a little bit from there and try to come up with something that's fresh and that that's going to inspire people. So we come up with a design and then we sit down on a whiteboard or I should say whiteboards because it takes many iterations and we draw out in the world's ugliest marker, magic marker, uh, penmanship, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. none of us can draw ugliest looking plugin UI you've ever seen. And we're like, well, what if we move the knob here? Should we have this knob? Can we get rid of this knob? Ooh, I realize there's going to be a logic problem if we move this here, if we, this knob, because it's going to interfere with this and it'll cause the plugin to crash. So we have to think about all these different things. We have to argue and debate where each knob goes, what it looks like, how it's positioned, how it, you know, what color is it going to be, this and that. Then we send it off to our art team and then we drive them absolutely crazy <laughs> because we'll sit there and argue about what color of blue or purple or, you know, should there be an extra scratch in that thing there or should it look more clean and pristine or you know that last one was cool but I think the purple was too Barbie can you make it more <laughs> you know so we sit there and we argue about stuff that no one cares about until we get it back and we're like that looks sick <laughs> Nice. And I, like I said, I think our art team legitimately wants to kill oh. us, and, the pro and probably will. But you guys I, get great results. They, they, they're good-looking plugins. Oh, you got. Well, you haven't even seen their new work yet, though. That's the thing mm. is that the stuff we're putting out was actually designed by another artist, but he kind of had a personal tragedy, and he's unable mm, to sorry. perform work. So, um, which is very important, unfortunate because he was a great kid. But um, let's just say he got hurt very badly in a in a car accident. So oh, he's sorry. kind of like unfortunately out of commission. But um, the new stuff that we're going to be putting out is all designed 
signed by this new team in the Ukraine and they're just they're so good at what they do and they can tolerate us <laughs> which, nice. which is important because I feel like we're very picky and very difficult to work with but at the same time we, we just want the best product right so we go through this whole art process and we we make this this really cool looking stuff that's about to come out and um you know, they make it look amazing and then we get it back and then it goes to the programmer and the programmer sits down and pulls out his hair and then we sit and argue about all this stupid crap that we didn't think about like, oh, well, you know, on the transient designer, if we change the crossfade time to this or that, it's going to affect how you want your attack. So it's a tr attack time. So it's a, it's a trade off. Like which one sounds better? And you're like, I don't know. I just use this plugin and I like this sound and I use this one and I like the sound and I feel like if I could mm. do this, it would be better than both of them. So how do we accomplish that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So and, and it's crazy too. Cause like, I think about like a transient desire. It's like, I probably have six in my computer I mix with and like they all sound so different and most of them I can't use them for anything and then like three of them I could use for certain things that they do right and then there's just so many have variables. I sent you the new one you have not oh I will send you the new one when awesome. we get off this I think you'll I enjoy it. it I've never been so frustrated and it's never been so tedious other than designing a sampler designing a sampler sucked mm. but I'll tell you about yes. that in a second the transient one was really hard to design because um, I don't really know much about transient designers and there was a lot of things we had to learn and test where we're like in theory it should do this but when we do that it sounds like this how come blah 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 and we'd have to sit there and tweak all the variables and then you know every time he's got to run off a new compile you load it on your computer you open it mm. up and you're like either pleasantly surprised you're like shit that sounds really weird <laughs> what mm. the hell did we do wrong i don't understand the theory should be this but the reality is this and you know so you have you have to really sit there and test and there's all these different trade-offs and then all of a sudden you realize well the way we designed this whole mode is stupid we should get rid of this button and move this here and consolidate this okay go call up the graphics oh they're behind it's going to take two weeks oh look now we got to change this stupid little button and it, so it's a it takes a long time it costs a ton of money but then mm. you get something out and either people like it it or people don't. I will say that designing a drum sampler is probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life other than wow. uh, raise ch three children. <laughs> <laughs> It took months, and I mean months of arguing over every possible thing. Well, if we have this feature, then people are going to say blah, blah. But if we don't have this feature, people are going to complain about this. But which one is better? You can't have both. What's the best trade-off? It's like you can have all of A or all of B or a part of the between, but you can't have all of A and B. And, you know, which which is more important? And then, okay, now which implementation of that is going to work? And which is going to be the best user experience? Is this overcomplicated? Or are people going to want to tweak? And You know, it's it's like the ultimate headache. You sit around for weeks arguing arguing on a whiteboard, pulling your eyes out, you know, like bloodshot drool out of the side of your mouth and, you know, like wanting to just, you know, have your, your office be nuked so you can just make it end. And then, you know, you code it up and you're like, oh crap, we screwed this up or, oh wait, shit, we didn't think about this. How are we going to handle that now? Or it doesn't fit into this infrastructure like this. So it's a pain in the ass, but when you get done with it and you load it up in your computer and it works and it sounds good, it's a really, really exciting feeling because this, like I said, the software that we make is the software that um, we use. Um, when we mix and mm -hmm. it, it's great because it, it solves so many problems that um, you know we wish existed or I mean you know could be solved by other things but they don't very rad well I look forward to seeing that when you guys uh, release it because uh, I it, you know, it's like I, I've been discussing this uh, a lot lately with people. Is like I don't think many people have a vision of like how to make a DAW better anymore. I think 
they're all pretty stagnant and no one knows what else to do. Like all the low-hanging fruit features have been done, but man, whenever I use a drum sampler, all I can think about is how bad they all still are. So I'm really <laughs> psyched to see what you guys do with it. It's hard to make a good one. And I'm sure there's still a million things we could improve on, which I know there are because some things, some problems I think are either unsolvable or technology hasn't caught up to the point where they can be solved yet. So, mm. you know, there's, it, it, it's a moving organic process. You know, some people put some stuff out, it's good, it gets old, people see the problems, then somebody comes up with a new, better racehorse, and then that gets old. You know what I mean? Like, society and technology just increase, and, yes. um, you know, Moore's Law, I guess, right, in a way? Very cool. So let's get into a different uh, subject. One of the things I hear you talk about a lot on your podcast is dealing with the feedback from the labels, and I think one of the things I've tried to do on this podcast is, I, I have not seen a lot of good advice that people have of that as you know it's like a band starts to get attention and then somebody comes in who's respectable could probably help their career and they think they need to listen to them about every single decision can you talk about what you see happen with label interference and what bands dash musicians can do or even producers to navigate the inevitably terrible feedback you get from labels managers etc <laughs> throughout their career I both love and hate this question. I, I love it because it's, I think, a very interesting topic, and I, f I feel like we have a lot both to say about it, but I hate it because I'm going to get in trouble because I'm definitely <laughs> going to piss some people off because I'm kind of a straight-to-the-point dude, and I kind of don't care. So th th the short answer is start a software company in an audio school so you don't have to put up with their fucking bullshit. And uh, you, know, you can say what you actually think when they piss you off, and it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's the short thing. But don't do that. It's actually really hard to do both of those things and <laughs> incredibly hard. But um, regardless, okay, so that being said, and all comedy aside, um, it's a very, very frustrating thing dealing with some labels. And some mm -hmm. of them, let's just say right out of the gate, are absolutely amazing to work with. For example, when I did Vinyl Theater for Fuel by Ramen, those guys were super cool because I got I built the band from a local band. I got the manager. We worked together. We built the brand. We got them signed. And I got to do the record. I even got to master the damn thing i'm surprised wow. they let me do it over ted and i was just like well here's what it sounds like and if you want to have ted do it sure let him do a test master here's the file and they're like well we think this is cool so we're just gonna go with it and i'm like awesome very but, so that was a cool experience because they came in they had a few opinions on the songs and um you know some structure things that they thought were going to be better and it was nothing like that the band was like oh man that's a stupid idea that's going to kill the song everything we thought like oh yeah that's actually a pretty cool idea we should shorten that part because it is kind of it is kind of stupid because the thing is you know they're kind of like an indie band but they're still like a pop band so mm. you know it's trying to bridge the authenticity of it with writing songs that are going to work on a radio format so you know there was a few ideas that the band wanted that got sh shut down but it wasn't anything that it was like where, where it even pissed them off slightly. It was things were like, yeah, okay, that's actually a pretty cool idea. So they had a few small little tweaks and they're, they're very supportive and they weren't very hands-on. They were kind of just like, listen, we trust you guys. You do what you're doing. It sounds good. You guys have a thing and a chemistry. You know, the A&R guy, uh, Steve Robertson flew out. He came out, come, came hang out for the first day. It was funny because we started the record at eight in the morning. By the time he got there at like three in the afternoon, we already had all the drums tracked, pre-mixed wow. and, and edited. I had all the guitars, the bass done, and we 
we are hitting vocals and we're working on all the synths. And he was just like, what the fuck? I've never seen that. I'm like, well, you've never worked with this band and you've never worked with me. And this is our workflow. Like we, we're not here to fuck around, man. This band has been training for months to come into the studio. And I have been working with them for so many albums and EPs that they know exactly what to do. Like it's, it's on a subconscious level. Like Nick walks in on the drums. All I do is set up mics, walk in and hit and record. And it already sounds incredible. Like I know where to put the mics in the room and what mics to use them. What, what's going to sound best for his style. And then he, and he's a, just a human robot. So he hits play that it, he literally gives you an absolutely perfect take. And you're like, you know, I'm going to say that was crap just so you can do it again to just to do it. But you know, so yeah, you know, let's, like, see, let's, let's see if you could beat it. Yeah. And it, of course it, it, it sounds identical. <laughs> Yeah, next time. Some so people like that. it's just like, all right, we're wasting time. So those guys are trained to that level. So, you know, that was a very positive experience. So I'll say that one by name, but yeah. then there's other experiences I've had with A&R guys who are really slimy pieces of shit. Sorry for anybody I just offended, but I don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> you know, they play a lot of games. They manipulate like the band is like, uh, oh, just send me this. Don't send it to the dudes in the band. Let me send this. And I want to send this off to this guy to do this and blah, blah, blah. And then we're just going to send it. I'm going to send it to them and deal with them after. Like they play fucking games and they they lie and they manipulate and like you know my favorite thing for like an upcoming producer that really sucks that a lot of guys including just many people have had to deal with is like you work your ass off you build a band they start breaking they start succeeding people are excited about that you have a, a, a thing with that artist they get picked up by some manager who sees dollar signs he immediately manages two other producers on the side and he's just like yeah you know you guys are cool but eh, everything you're doing is shit with this guy here's what I gotta go do my guys and they don't realize that the dude's getting a kickback on it he's just doing mm -hmm. it he wants the money it's not necessarily going to be any better because that producer has never worked with that band he doesn't know what their their you know their whole vision is he's never sat down and you know gr uh, grinded it out and developed that process and so there's a lot of like horseshit like that that goes on and then there's like the uh you know there's the records that have a lot of money behind them and you get the ultra overzealous a and r guy like one time i was doing this record and the labels we send in all the pre-production they're like approved everything is cool we want you to make your record like x then they they hire a new a and r guy that the first thing he tells the band is i hate your band i think you guys fucking suck and the band's like wow. why are you our a and r and they're yeah. like well i'm assigned to you and unfortunately i have to deal with you so the band's like okay well this is kind of fucking shit like damn i hate this all right fine so he comes in and everybody at the label they're loving the songs he's like everything is shit and a week later everything sucks all right so write some new songs write some new songs you're like oh new a and r guy doesn't like them everything's shit blah 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 then a week later oh writes an email finally got the band this is really cool this is great this song's gonna be a top 10 this song's gonna this week later everything is fucking garbage everything is shit we scrapped the whole fucking record this and that so you know we, we went on the seesaw back and forth like over weeks and the band is sitting there and you can just watch their morale it's like all of a sudden they get a call from the manager everybody's stoked like oh man that song you guys sent over is gonna be a monster dude we're gonna crush radio four days later man that song you guys sent over four days ago is the worst fucking song i've ever heard i can't believe you guys would send me some such shit this is fucking garbage you guys shouldn't even be on this fucking label you should get dropped immediately i can't believe you're such a fucking embarrassment i'm just like you guys are on fucking drugs like what are you fucking doing over there like you <laughs> holy shit what the fuck like that's the kind of stuff that it's just like crazy and that story went on and on and on but the bottom line is after like two years or three years after that record could have came out after it got killed um it finally just came out i i've looked at the sound scans it's not doing well but i'm, I'm just amazed that I, I feel like as a band timing is important just like in yeah. business and if you come out with a record you gain momentum you have to put it on that record in a, in a certain time frame or else no one gives a shit and if you don't put out your record and you sit there and you tweak and you tweak and destroy and you cut everything down 
down and you lose all that vibe, all that momentum. And then all of a sudden you got to restart and, you, and everybody's forgot about the band and the record comes out and you're fighting twice the uphill battle. And, um, you know, you spent all this time meddling with it. And the reality is you hated the band from the first place and you didn't even make it any better. It just went sideways at best. It's just slightly different. It's like you've changed yeah. genres three times with what this fucking band is supposed to sound like. How about let the fucking band decide what the fucking band wants to sound like? Yeah, I think that's the thing that really gets lost is a lot of these people want to be geniuses so they're trying to put their handprint on it and it's just ego that's all yeah, it is yeah exactly and like i think that's the thing to that like i've been trying to say on this subject to people is the idea that like the only music that connects with other people is an emotional expression if somebody's telling you to express that emotion through a lens they've decided is best for you because it chases a trend or something it's never <laughs> going to be authentic and good it's I like the thing I've been trying to say to people is it's like it's one thing to say to a metal band like hey you know uh, listening to a little bit more trip hop might be good for your sound here's three records I made you a Spotify playlist if that happens to influence you great but saying like you know the one I always cite is like a particularly like huge label I worked with decided that all their bands should sound like the Beatles at one point and <laughs> they were all signing, of them yes literally. All of them should sound like the Beatles. Pop punk is dead, even though they built their label on signing the biggest pop punk bands in the game. And they rejected every demo that didn't have a Beatles influence. And it was like one of those things. And since I'm an adult and these people are adults and they literally were the type of label that signed children that were not even out of high school. It's like saying this to them. And then it's like that thing of like, then they get in a public war with me about it because I'm like, you know, I've been around this business long enough to see that this doesn't work. And I think it's just, it's so funny that this memo has not trickled to people yet that like no one has ever made a good record by the a and r telling you what your sound should be maybe outside of some like 80s pop swing some people but like you even hear the stories of like the kelly clarkson records that are committee by design versus the ones and it's like you know it doesn't work yeah absolutely i so wholeheartedly agree and i often wonder because you know you'll sit there and you'll go through this experience and you're just like you know at some point as a producer you're like this is a waste of my fucking time all right i'm out like just fuck off go do whatever you want to do i have a thousand better higher painting things for people that actually want to deal with me uh to deal with and to put up with your bullshit and then you listen to the final result that they they put out and you're like that's what you spend all that time fighting over i hear like <laughs> one or two fucking singles on this whole thing and even those songs are so fucking outside of what the band well whatever yeah. <laughs> i don't claim to be an expert but i i just think that i i've seen it go both ways where it's had a really detrimental effect to some people's careers and flat out killed their careers i mean mm -hmm. the, the politicking alone hell when i was in a band and we started breaking it was like we get picked up by a tko agency mm -hmm. and i've got agent x and then two weeks later he goes over to the next agency and he goes oh man those guys are trying to fuck you blah 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 come over there blah blah and the, the tko doesn't call us so we're like okay so we go over here and then the president calls us dave kirby when he was still alive calls us like mm -hmm. fucking a month later like, why the fuck did you go over there we're gonna do this and that so we go back and then this guy's all pissed off and that guy's all pissed off but then you go to one place they're not doing shit you go to another place they're not doing shit so you bring in a new manager to flight a fire under their ass and that only pisses them off and then all of a sudden after nine months of screwing around the band gets killed in politicking and for those guys it's just another number but for the band it was like that represented 10 years of our lives going out and slogging it out and then we finally get to the point where we're playing arenas and touring with real fucking bands and like about to uh you know like direct support arenas not like headlining but like you know what i mean going out on real tours and doing real shit and like it's starting to hit radio and it's starting to do this and then all of a sudden it's, it's killed because you know too many different groups of people fought over it and they couldn't 
no one could get anything done and it was just all politics, games and egos. And how do you avoid that? And I, I feel like I'll give some advice and I, I mm. hate this advice because it's not genuine to who I am or what I believe in. But I feel like you need to become a really manipulative son of, of a bitch when you're dealing with really fucking manipulative people. So start reading your psychology and you have to go way outside of your comfort zone. That's the only way I can deal with people like that is I just, I have to play games. And I, it pisses me off because I never fucking play games with people. But when I have to, because they're forcing that type of hand, then you have to. And it's really frustrating because it's just, it feels so inauthentic. For me, it violates like how I was raised and what type of principles and morals I was raised with. So at the end of the day, you know, if you're dealing with people that are expert manipulators and they have an agenda and they're trying to fuck you over, then you have to give them a dose back and you have to play the game. And it's unfortunate that there are people out there, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 gonna happen. You just have to you have to be smart about it. The most important thing to understand in negotiation is this. Okay, he who has the least amount to lose has the strongest hand. Yes. So from the label's point of view, you know if the new producer comes in, you know they'll they'll make you go through hell and back just because they know that you can. But if you've already been really successful, you can literally walk in there and say, no, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. This is how it's gonna go down. These are my terms, or I'm gonna walk because you guys are a waste of my fucking time. So you have to think about strategies how you can build leverage as a professional to hedge yourself. When people want to come in and they want to play games with you and they want to waste time. And at the same time, I am a huge fan of saying yes to everything and just dealing with it and like trying to really go above and beyond and prove yourself and create lots of value. But there's a point and a limit where the games that get played are so intense and so high that you have to be able to build some kind of fuck you card so you can walk on the deal and not feel like, you know, feel like you're actually gaining something by not having to put up with that bullshit, then you're losing, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I, I think you actually make a great point that's under discussed, which is, um, I try to, when somebody's not playing by the rules, I try to make them see why it's not okay to play this game, that they just defend their ideas because they want to make more contributions and they want more of the publishing and things yes. like that. And like all those terrible, terrible practices that people get into. But what sucks is if they can't get on course and like I've developed some things about how to get people on course. And I'm like, I try to be very good about knowing my psychology to know how to say to somebody like, look, what you're doing is not okay. It's okay. You were probably taught it from a bad place. It's not your fault. But if they refuse to play the game, well, then it's time to fight fire with fire. And I got a flamethrower of shitty techniques to do. <laughs> if, you're, if you like, if you're not going to play by the fucking rules, I I'm, I'm going to burn your tires off with my flamethrower. So that's right. I got good advice actually from mm -hmm. a friend of mine who was a very, very successful LA songwriter who also worked on that same record I was talking about. And he, he told me something cause it was my first record with that group of people. And it turns out, you know, after having my podcast, it turns out mm -hmm. that that A&R guy is literally probably the most hated A&R guy in the entire <laughs> industry for that particular type of music. Like every producer thinks he's a fucking moron. Mm -hmm. And, um, <laughs> My luck is I'll get an email after this podcast comes out. You motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> But no, seriously, like every single producer I know thinks, hates working with, like I know guys that literally, like guys that are, I, I'm not going to say names, but mm -hmm. I, I've, I've talked to people in person that are, you know, really killing charts and things like that are literally like, you know, when I have to make a record with that guy, I add another thousand bucks per song to my price, or I, I have a special price for that guy. And I, you know, and mm -hmm. I, 
et cetera. Because that's the, that's the level of fucking foolery that has to be done. So the thing I learned from this one songwriter is he said, um, listen, you came in and you were too nice about it. You should have came in like a fucking battleship and just been like, listen, you know what? You're actually fucking wrong. And here's why. You don't get it. You're too fucking dated. You're sinking in 2000. This song is blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And it's fucking great. And you don't understand it because you're too fucking old and out of date. And you're just a fucking dinosaur. So get out of the fucking business or get with the goddamn times because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And he's like, that's how you have to deal with that guy. And I'm like, shit, I'm good at doing that. Why didn't I do that? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, 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 that's actually great, really great advice. So let's shift gears. You have another few minutes. I've got as good. long as you've got. Great. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and let's get into your mixing stuff. I think one of the more interesting things that happens is since we have so many self-recorded bands and you're doing so much education with bands these days is I often at least get that email that says, well, what can I do? to make this easy for you. And it's like, well, I can't, I don't have time to micromanage you all day. I don't have time to sit and listen to the drum tone after you get the drum tone, the bass tone. What can somebody do to make sure their record comes out better before you mix it? Ooh, very good question. A lot of things. First and foremost, I think it comes to having a really good setup of uh, like a mix requirement sheet. So sitting down and really thinking about, for example, if the band's gonna record guitars, they better send me a DI because if they're a band, they probably don't know how to record guitars because they were too <laughs> cheap to hide some, hire somebody good. So at least I can charge them and reamp them and get them something that's going to suck less in theory but I have that option and that's a good thing. Another thing is, for example, if they record drums, you know, include a MIDI version that's that's synced to it. So if you need to replace them, it's really easy to replace or program out certain elements because, you know, the drummer just sucked. They didn't know how to edit. There's all kinds of glips and dumb shit. And uh, the drum tracks are just unusable, but the record needs to come out for X, Y, and Z reason. The band doesn't have any more money to spend on. And you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna load up my drum software and uh, pretend that I'm not using it, even though I'd rather use the real drummer's takes because the whole record's going to sound better for it. So mm -hmm. things like that. You give very specific advice in terms of what you want. I want all of my files sent like this. If you're going to use post-production and give me strings and stuff, please include the MIDI because your string sounds might sound like shit. You know, mm -hmm. those, that stock reason stuff that you stole on the internet <laughs> isn't very good next to my East-West library that gets used on film that I paid a lot of freaking money for that mm -hmm. I know how to use and I write with a lot. So I'm gonna, you know, just give me your MIDI and I'll give you much better sounding strings than the mono export of a stereo file that you sent me, which sounds like eight bit MIDI <laughs> on a keyboard from 1982. So you know what I mean? Like just thinking about stuff like that. Um, I will also say on a philosophical level, which I think is more important because it's hard to give really mm -hmm. specifics, but it's more important, I feel, to educate the band. And Jack Jesse, I think is, is the key here is that you have to educate the band and say, listen, if you're going to record guitars, you should probably learn how to record guitars. You know, like go listen to this podcast here, watch this video right here. You know, if you're going to, you know, record drums or whatever, you should at least read a this chapter in this book, which is going to give you the fundamental understanding or, you know, read this article. So you can point them to resources that are available and you can say, educate yourself a little bit on the process so you don't do X, Y, and Z. And the other thing that you can do that help too is you can always say, well, send me a session here of a song before you waste a bunch of time and let me just take a 20 second look at it. I'll drop it to the computer, I'll look at your stems and I'll be like, all right, you fucked this up, you screwed this up, don't do this like this, fix this like this, move this here, blah, blah, blah. And you can at least give them some sort of feedback. 
feedback. So I think giving the band feedback, helping educate them, and then giving them a very specific list of things not to do. And then you always put at the end of the thing, by the way, this is the kicker on your mix notes, is uh, mm. if you do not deliver files in the way stated, there will be charges additionally on your bill for non-compliance. And that, believe me, when that's there in bold uh -huh. and, and, and you know 20 point font when everything is in 12, they're gonna <laughs> do it. <laughs> I might have to up the font because mine's in bold, but, uh, but, but the font's not big enough maybe. Up the font, put it first at the end, put it in the middle, like just basically name the document that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. No one reads anymore, so you have to. And this is something I've learned doing software. It's like, no matter how often you explain something to somebody, then you get a support ticket. Well, can I do this? I'm like, if you would have read past sentence one, sentence two, exactly typed in what I would, but you can't say that because you don't want to be mean, but you're like 90% of things that people don't understand is because they didn't read uh, down two or three paragraphs on a page that explains how to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the same thing with like mix changes is like, there's so many times like, I'm working as a producer with another mixer and it's like, uh, you didn't do that mix change because you don't want to do it and we're going to just keep typing it until you do it and <laughs> I want to hear it at least. I want to hear it. Put Google go Docs, yeah. make a checklist yeah. and then they go yeah. through on the spreadsheet and they just exit out and then you know that it's been done. I always send back so, a thing so, of so, notes so, with an so X. So your, spre your spreadsheet compared to the Word document. I mean, you can do it either way. I usually yeah. do a Word document, but I always yeah, put an X. So I'll take their list, I'll drop it into the notepad and Cubase. Then I'll put a little X and I'll copy and paste my list and be like, look, here's all the changes. I'll call it the change log. Boom, they get it back. They know that I at least addressed the thing. And, um, you know, as a mixer too, you can always call the producer or whatever and say, hey, well, here's the problem that you may have not have thought of that this is creating because, you know, well, th this is not something producers usually run into with mixers, but I would say like bands is sometimes they chase their own tail because they don't know how to mix. They're like, well, why mm -hmm. can't you just turn this up and make everything louder? And you're like, yeah, yeah. well, here's the problem, fool, that it, you know happens. It's it's not just you can have everything. It's a trade-off. So you either want this or you want this. Here's what it sounds like if you do this. Here's what it sounds like the way I have it. That's yep. why I made that decision. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Yes. Do you still want me to make it like this? Yes. Okay, then I'll do it. Yes, totally. Um, Cool. So let's get into a little bit of who you are musically um who are three of your favorite producers if you had to name a couple oh geez this is uh <laughs> it's always the tough one this is this is interesting because um it changes all the time um mm -hmm. going back to like my original influences because i when I got into recording, I was really a metal dude. So um, mm -hmm. all my influences are going to be the stereotypical ones that everybody else said. But I, it was Randy Staub because, I mean, first yeah, time I, I heard Metallica you. was Black Album in a uh -huh. good system. Like, that was the first time I noticed production. I'm like, man, mm. this album sounds so good. Like, what? why does this kick so much ass? And then I put Rat in my car and it sucks. <laughs> 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 that that is a true thing. Plus, you could watch that record be made for like what is it, two and a half hours? That VHS. Yeah. Oh, that was that was an incredible discovery. Yeah. Uh, I used yeah. to even before I got into recording, used to watch it. It was just fascinating. Same. So Randy Staub, I just love what he did with Metallica. Love what he did with Nickelback, and he just has a sound. I don't know. He's just a badass. I love his stuff. When I'm saying, am I talking about mixers? You said producers. Ah, you know, you, you know, whatever makes you happy. All right, fine. The next one was Andy Sneap. The first time I heard, nice. I think it was Test. Uh, first strike? No, no, not first strike. It was uh, the one with the, uh, uh, the song is DNR. Um, God, I can't oh, remember that. It was a testament, so long, but I know that one. Yeah, yeah, like it was, it was the one before he, they read it. First strike, still deadly or whatever. It was. Um, 
I, I don't know. But the first time I heard that record, it was like the punchiest, awesomest sounding metal record I'd ever heard. And then like I got really into that. And then I remember when I heard like that Kill Switch Engage uh, end of heartache record. I was just oh, and, like yeah. Trivium Ascendancy. When I heard those mixes, I was just like, this is badass. Like that's what I want to get good at. I want to be able to mix like that. So that was like a major um, inspiration, I think. I'm trying to think of a third. I mean, yeah, I love all the guys like Ben Death or Chris Lord Algae or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ben Gross. There's so many. I mean, I love them all. It's weird because you go on the forums and you, no matter how good somebody is, you already see like 500 kids slogging them. And it's just oh. like, I love all those guys mixes. Like I'm yeah. not just like, Oh, that guy sucks, man. I, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that guy's awesome. He's just different than your aesthetic. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and did, did, did you have the same thing that I did that when I was younger, I thought everything had to sound away. And now I appreciate all the things that I'm like, Oh, I get it. Like they, this person usually makes good decisions. And even the records that I'm like, I wish it didn't sound like that way. I'm like, they probably made a good decision because they're good at making good decisions. Well, here's the thing about mixing. That's really unfair is you don't know what the mixer got to work with. So the mixer, yeah could be a fucking genius. He could have turned out the most amazing saving mix that you've ever heard based off the source material he got, or he could have totally fucked it up. You don't know mm -hmm. what he got. All you hear is the end product. So when a kid's just like, yo, this mix is shit, man. Fuck this snare. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's only a couple of forums where people <laughs> fuck, actually fuck act this that. snare. <laughs> yeah. There's only a couple of places on the internet that I can think of in particular where people talk like that and act like that. Well, actually, there's a lot, but <laughs> not on my, not in our group. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, you don't necessarily know like maybe the mix was really awesome and the band came in and they fucking ruined it or maybe the label A&R guy called and it was just like yeah man we need you to chase this dude's sound because you know th that's hot really now and we know you do this and we know we hired this but we can't afford that guy so we're just gonna we're just gonna do what the next best thing so just make it sound more like that and that totally may have ruined the record you have no idea what happened and you have mm -hmm. no idea like what that guy got and maybe he just had a shitty day maybe he bombed it but even if he did so fucking what like mm -hmm. why don't you get in the pilot seat and show us you know yeah. because you can sit there and mix a song for six months and make it sound good but to be able to sit down and knock out albums over and over and over again at a high speed and consistently now that is a real mixer that's the difference yeah. between a pro and a punter totally totally with you okay give us five records in your musical growth five records all right that were, so, that were important to you growing a, a, as as what you do uh the first record that got me into I would say music going from just like the kid on the school bus had it and I thought it was cool because it was like the new rap song in the 90s and it was controversial. Um, the first record I think that got me into music was probably And Justice for All by Metallica. Basically, I had oh, nice. a metal uncle and a metal and another metal uncle and I walked over and my one was eight years older than me and the other one was four years older and I walked over and they were like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, I like that rap stuff they play on the school bus. And I was like in <laughs> sixth grade. Yeah, and, I, I was you know, the same way. He like picks me up and he's like, you're going to start listening to metal. And like the white terror of death fills my eyes. And he's like, listen to this. And he puts an and justice for all. And I'm like, this is sick. Like I had no idea yeah. what it was, but it was, it was cool. So then he gave me a bunch of tapes and I took them home and I had Pantera and um, this and that. So I think um, and justice for all by Metallica was a record that kind of got me started. Then I think another major record that was really influential to me was vulgar display of power by Pantera. I remember getting mm. that on cassette in eighth grade, hiding it from my mom. Cause it had the song fucking hostile on it. And my oh. buddy, Oh, yeah. wrote that on the back and like every time that song would come on i'd be listening to it and then like and then my mom would come home and immediately like, take the tape and hide it under like all my underwear and socks and like sit there and <laughs> she'd walk in the room like hey what are you doing i'm like nothing 
just sitting there all awkward, like embarrassed. Real calm, yep. not hostile yep. at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding my teenage angst. And then she'd leave and immediately like Pantera would go back on. And like, we thought it was so badass because they swore and like, it was, yeah. it was so metal. And, um, that, that, that was a great record. Let's see. Then it was, uh, moving forward. It was definitely like uh, the Ozzy Osbourne tribute. That's what really got mm. me into shred guitar playing and really changed my life in terms of like being a fan of music to somebody who was like actively, this is what I want to do. I want to be a guitar virtuoso nerd. That's all I want to do is play guitar. Mm. I don't care about anything else. And that was like my the journey, which led into all these things that I'm doing now. Uh, moving forward, I think another, I think I want to say maybe Hate Crew Death Roll by Children of Bodom. That was a really mm. influential record for me when I was in my early 20s. I loved that whole Gothenburg Swedish thing, like in flames and Children of Bodom and Soil Work. But that Children of Bodom was like my favorite band. And that was my favorite record at the time from them. And I was just like obsessed and in love with that band. That's all I wanted to be was like in that band. <laughs> but that band mm -hmm. already existed. And then after that, okay, this, this is going to sit really wrong with a lot of listeners. So I, I'm okay. going to be careful on this one. Then I'm going to go to, I'm going to pick a song. I'm not going to go for a record. Okay. Because the song. Yeah, that's fine transformed my view on music which allowed me to to produce for a living and start becoming actually successful and that song was toxic by britney spears no, and i'll tell no, you this i'm with it i'm with it I like i'll tell song. you the story on this i read your book i know how much you hate mm -hmm. pop music <laughs> no oh, really Dude, no i love pop music i defend pop music in the book all right fair enough fair enough fair enough <laughs> wow i hope that's not what it comes off as because like half what i listen to is pop music I know what your point is about emotion yeah. and manufacturing yeah. stuff, but I mean, yeah. you know, pop is 98% manufactured, but regardless, I was sitting there with my friends and this was like when I was in my early twenties, which I was reliving, reliving my teenage angst. And I was just like oppositional defiance to everything. I mean like fuck pop, fuck rock. Mm -hmm. If it's on the radio, it sucks. I hate mm -hmm. everything, but neoclassical shred and Gothenburg <laughs> metal. That's it. <laughs> everything else has no talent, no skill, except for like jazz. And you know what I mean? Just no complete respect for anything because you know i was one of those kids who practiced guitar 12 hours a day so when mm -hmm. a kid would come in and play new metal i was just like you play zero and one fuck you you're not even a guitar player <laughs> i mean you know that's just kind of like true. a punk it's rock true. attitude you know it's yeah just, yeah we, we we all base a lot of our personalities off of what we we say we're better than that's that's what we do back yeah then. absolutely it was just being an asshole and an elitist mm -hmm. <laughs> Yep. So I was sitting there with my drummer who was who, who was just so even more like that than I was. And we we're flipping through the music channel on, uh, you know, like TV or whatever. You remember them? They had like a uh, cable. They had like the music channel. We hit the metal oh, yeah. channel. Then we hit the pop one. And then um, that song was on. And we listened to, I shit you not, 40 seconds of that song. Like it got to half a verse, half a chorus before my drummer was like, fuck this shit, man. This is rubbish. Turns it off, you know, throws the remote. Ah, I hate pop music. And I was like, yeah, man, it sucks. I had that damn song in my head for three weeks, dude. And I was like over and fucking over and over. And I was like, man, I hate this song. It's plaguing me. I, 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 it's in my head when I sleep, when I wake up, I'm like, I hate it. And um, then I had the realization that I was just kind of being an elitist metal dick. And I actually really loved the fucking song. And I started listening to it and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And I remember calling my singer in the band who was also just like me, you know, like, like we all we cared about was like Cradle of Filth and Children of Bodom and mm -hmm. all these metal bands and the dub. I'm like, dude, you should listen to the new Britney Spears single, dude. It's ridiculous. And he was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, are you kidding me? Like he like hangs up the phone on me, calls me three days later. He's like, dude, can you can you do me a favor? And I'm like, you've never called me like that. I'm like, this that's kind of weird. Like, what happened? Like, what's up? Like, he's like, can, can you send me that song? And I'm like, <laughs> the Britney Spears one? 
He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude, sure. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's really good, isn't it? And he's like, dude, it's ridiculous. I'm like, I know. It's so good. I hate it. <laughs> and um, that changed us. We realized we got over our metal stuff. We started listening to a lot of different styles of music that we kind of repressed in, uh, uh -huh. deeply inside. We switched to playing a rock band. Then my metal band that didn't go anywhere for eight years, we made it overnight in rock in six months. And then the industry died in 2009 for rock and went EDM. And um, I started really digging into just producing and stuff like that and got out of the band game. But that was like the catalyst because then I realized huh. it was okay to listen to other things that I was secretly repressing because it was too metal and I was too true for that. And I was too, you know, I, I had to get over that elitist thing. And, um, you know, it's okay if there's no guitar solo and it's okay if <laughs> the guitar player isn't a virtuoso and it's okay to like Limp Bizkit because, you know, yeah, you know, yep. that song sucks, but it's actually really good. And it's okay yep. to like, you know, this Celine Dion song or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, totally. So I'm, I just started loving music again. And as a producer, that was invaluable because I was able to yes. adapt very quickly. And like a band would come in and I'd be like, whoa, what's up with this emo bullshit? You guys are wearing fucking pink belts. Like I would have got my ass kicked when I was a kid. That's just not <laughs> even fucking cool. And then I'm like, this music sucks. But then I started listening to it. And then after like three weeks of listening to it, I finally got it. I'm like, oh, that's why this is awesome. And then I got all the emo bands in town. Then all of a sudden it was like hardcore. Then it was like dubstep and like the never shout, never like pop acoustic scene stuff. Mm -hmm. And every single one of those genres I had a kid that would come into my studio and I'd be like, whoa, what the hell is this? I'd have that shock moment that I'd be like, okay, I don't get dubstep. But then I'd sit down and listen to it for two weeks nonstop. And then I'd be like, oh, this is why this is badass. Now I get mm -hmm. it. Now I can create it. And then I was able to, to get a bunch of clients. And then, you know, I was always evolving no matter what came in and changing my tastes because I realized that you have to move with the trends in the market. So that made me so much more versatile as a producer and kept my, you know, the influence. And then when I was doing, you know, metal records or whatever, you know, I was able to pull things that different people weren't hearing. So for example, sometimes I'll get hired just to do vocals on a record because if they go and they hire one of, you know, insert big metal producer A's name, um, the problem with that guy is while he's an amazing at getting guitar tone and shit like that, he fucking sucks at writing a melody or a chorus that sticks in your head. Whereas they come to a guy like me and I'll be like, listen, dude, these vocals are fucking whack. Change the chords to this, do this. And I'll approach it from a pop sense. Like, you can write a much better melody than that. Have you ever thought of maybe trying something like that? And then the artist will get inspired and be like, oh, dude, well, I had this idea, but I, I was kind of like afraid to try it. I'm like, no, dude, it's great. And then like, well, we'll have this thing. And then all of a sudden, like the song is way better. So I found that I, I started getting hired to do a lot of like vocal producing and things like that because mm. as a metal guy, even though I'm not a metal guy, but I get hired to mix a lot of metal records. Um, people come to me because I do vocals and I, I come from active rock and I come from pop. I know how to write a hook and I know how to write a song. And I'm not the best guy to produce your chug, chug, chug blast beat band <laughs> bullshit like i don't i don't care about that music but i know how to write stuff that's you know more it, it, it's catchier it's more fun to listen to it's more appealing so you know it, it, it's good to have lots of different hats and be versatile and and wear different types of uh you know well hats on your head essentially because it it just makes it i don't know you you get a lot more work and you'll work you'll you'll will discover bands that you will work with and you will find that they are, you enjoy working with them even though you would never heard of the genre like a band will walk in you'll do the record it'll get it'll do well and all of a sudden you get 10 more bands like that and you'll be like i didn't even know this existed apparently i'm good at it because i keep getting hired and man this mm. is actually really cool like i got a bunch of drone like heavy doom metal bands once and i didn't even know this genre existed and mm. they just liked my style of mixing so i got a bunch of clients in that realm and because i was open-minded enough and not so much of an elitist towards it i was able to learn what was cool about it and then produce it and mix it successfully i like that yeah and i think that that's the thing is too is it also just makes life so much much easier like I, I one of the things I talk about in the book and I tell the story a lot is like you know 
every band complains about the person with the shitty taste in the van. I've learned <laughs> bass player. To just yeah, yeah, like I've learned to just do the thing of like I sit there and I find what I don't like about it, so I can understand what I don't like about it, and I try to find something good about it because it makes life so much better. When like you know, I go to a museum and I'm not feeling the art. I try to figure out what it is that's like making me not feel it and understand it all. Because the more I understand that stuff, the more I can make mu- art that other people appreciate. Absolutely, and you can you can enjoy it more too. And isn't that mm-hmm. the point of all this, anyways? Is it's like you know, being elitist and purist. Is- is great in principle but in reality when you're when you're feeding a family and you're working and you're, you're doing it you're going to get a lots of stuff that you don't like on off the cuff that's going to come in and you're going to be like well your first reaction is going to be like eh but then as you get into the project you know you're going to find something you appreciate about it and you enjoy it and you might come out with a whole new deep found appreciation for a genre or a sound that you didn't even know that you did because you were open-minded about it and that discovery and that is experience is something that's just really an amazing thing and it can happen over and over and open and over again you just have to let it happen to yourself Uh, a thousand percent so give me something that's inspiring you though presently something that's inspiring me right now um boy it's weird um because i don't really draw my inspiration from like outside stuff if that makes sense like Mm. i've never had a problem with motivation it's always been intrinsic maybe maybe it's from a Mm. a childhood of repressed uh you know always being worst and last picked or you know the (laughs) the skinny smallest kid on the in the football team or whatever but uh with you there but definitely I, I think a lot of things is like right now what's motivating me i think is giving back right so i've had a really mm. good career mixing producing engineering doing all kinds of different things and now that we're doing like the education stuff and the software stuff i've realized it, it's allowing me to take what we're doing on a much bigger scale right so if i was just producing or mixing because i'm now stuck in pigeonholed in a certain genre of, of music you know I, I can only do more bands at a list and get more and more names and then maybe you get lucky and you hit like a super band at some point but you can only like you can't get any bigger you just solidify a legacy it's like once you're the president of the united states you're you're the president like there's no more there's nothing more to conquer so once you're mixing big bands and you've got some really big names under your belt you can only get more names like there's always a bigger band but the point is is it's like the excitement of it is kind of worn off it's just like about solidifying and some people that's what they're into but i'm an entrepreneur you know i'm i'm an intrinsic growth machine like I need more. I have to do something bigger and better and I need a challenge. And it's not about money or anything like that. It's about just having something to do that I enjoy doing. And it's about, can I do this? Can I do that? How far can I take this? So I need a challenge. I need something that's like crazy to try to achieve because it's fun. So doing what we're doing now is an enabler because it's like, I can make, let's say 10 records a year as a producer or maybe mix 500 songs, but that's the maximum amount of things that I can, of impact I can have. Now I can go out and I can teach 4,000 upcoming producers how to mix and it help enable them and inspire them. And they, I think about how many records those guys can make, or I can give them software and make the tools that can help them make better records. And j- just think about the reach of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so much greater. So I look at it like this. I've, I've been fortunate. I've been able to feed three kids, get a decent house, a decent car, bunch of gear, have, make a good, comfortable living. I get to travel, take two months off every year, go around the world and do all the things I want to do. And because I've, had, I've been fortunate and been able to live life on my own terms and have been in charge for so long, I feel very deeply thankful and deeply grateful of 
that and what I've accomplished and being able to have the opportunity to do that. So for me now, it's about giving back. Essentially, it's like, all right, well, I've done well and my career's done this. You know, Joey's done that in his career. AL has done that in their career. Now let's take what we've learned and let's give it to these kids so somebody can take it and they can take it even farther and do something better with it. You know, like let's try to up the bar because the market's changing and let's 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 give more information. Let's create more value for people. Let's make people's lives better. Let's improve it. Let's let's all enable people to take their passion, which is music, and to share it and to express it and to do it better and easier and more effectively and give them the tools and the knowledge that we wish we had when we would have started so they can get some sort of advantage and get some sort of leg up. So that that's what's inspiring now is seeing all the awesome stuff that's like happening in our community, like all the things that are people are doing. Like when somebody's like, hey man, check this out. I mixed this song and it's a number one. And look, I used uh, DF Excite and I used your snare drum on this and I'm just like that's so awesome thank you I can't believe that that's like the coolest thing you know what I mean or some kid who's just like you know uh, URM um Nail the mix changed my life. I've gotten so much better at mixing now. I went from I was able to quit my job and I'm, I'm now mixing for a living and recording and it's great and I'm doing what I love and I'm getting by and I'm having so much fun doing that and seeing those people just gush all this positivity and excitement out of themselves. Um, it, it, it's cool knowing that you had just a small part in that and it's it's awesome to be part of that sort of thing. So um, it's it, I guess it's just about giving back. You know what I mean? It, it's an it, it's a move of gratitude and yeah, you know, obviously we're making money doing this and it's. It's allowing a much more comfortable lifestyle and I don't have to stress out so much if I'm working on a project and I, I really hate the A&R guy and he's a real pain in the ass <laughs> and we're, we're battling, you know, now I can tell him to fuck off and I don't care. I'm actually laughing about it because um, I don't need him. I don't have to put up yep. with his shit. So it, I, I also am very thankful for that because um, it's lowered my stress level in my life and it's giving me a little bit more time to play with my children and see them grow up as opposed to grinding 90 hour weeks in the studio. And, um, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, I'm just happy to be doing what I'm doing and very grateful. Very rad. Um, okay. Last thing, uh, do a little self-promotion. Tell us whatever else we didn't discuss. If anything, do the thing. All right. So I guess if you want to check out the stuff that we're doing, it's urm.academy and drumforge.com. Those are the two uh, URLs. I mean, I, my, I would, I would throw out my website, but it's so out of date and I'm, I've got some rebranding and some things I want to do. So I'm not even going to just toss it out there, but, uh, you know, Facebook is the easiest way to get a hold of somebody like me. I'm always on the damn thing because it's such an integral, par integral part of my business and my business life. So, you know, that that's the easiest way to get a hold of me if you need to or whatever, but, uh, urm.academy and drumforge.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.